Hey everybody, uh, Mark the Idiot here again with uh, episode 19 of the Idiot Speaketh podcast. Uh, let's see, it's currently March the 18th, 2020. Um, coronavirus still rages on, it seems to be getting worse by the day. Um, just a couple quick notes on the coronavirus from a personal standpoint. Um, Tyler, you know, who's down in college in San Antonio, uh, was working on the campus on uh, this past Tuesday, and uh, he went in and he had a co-worker that came in that was, uh, according to him, coughing her toenails up, although she was wearing a mask. Uh, this was a girl that was probably a good chance that she was infected with the virus and everybody around her told her that she needed to go home. She didn't need to be there working, but this girl insisted like millions of us, she had rent to pay and she couldn't afford to be off work. So she had to go into work because she had bills to pay. And, um, you know, everybody tried to give her a wide berth and she coughed repeatedly and, Tyler actually sent us a picture with her in the background, face down, laying on the floor, resting. So, um, you know, I know it's tough on everybody, but, you know, if if anybody out there knows anybody that uh, thinks that they're sick and they're coughing their toenails up, you know, relay to them, please, you know, it's not worth it. Don't go into work because you can just infect everyone else around you. And then, uh, then I talked to my father today out in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, my father is terrified to go out of the house. Um, he's not terrified for him. He's terrified that he might go out, somehow get something, and then bring it back to the house and that my mom would get infected. And that, you know, she's uh, real, she's got a lot of health issues. So, you know, my dad's terrified about my mom getting sick. Well, he... He didn't run or rush right out to the store last week like everybody else in the world did, and he finally had to venture out today to get groceries. And uh, he wore a mask and gloves and went to his local grocery store and was going down the aisles that were all picked over, and he said some young guy saw him and started laughing and snickering at him because, you know, my father was obviously overreacting by wearing a mask and gloves. So... You know, it's not a, you know, as all of us, I'm sure, are aware, it's not a funny issue. Personally, I think if things keep going like this, within a week or two, we're going we're gonna to all be told to be wearing glass, uh, gloves and masks whenever we're outside of the house. But anyway, uh, moving on to try to keep things a little bit lighter. Uh, I think I'll go into now a, uh, a humor flashback from my old humor blog. This was done back in 2010. Uh, the backstory, uh, when this post took place, uh, I was weeks away for from leaving for a 16-day volunteer trip to Bolivia and Peru. Uh, my cousin Whitney's husband, Don, had years before founded a firefighting charity called Global Mission Readiness, GMR. Uh, this charity consists of firefighters and first responders 
mainly from the uh, the Portland, Oregon, and uh, Southern Washington area, who uh, used their personal vacation days to travel to uh, literally all parts of the globe where they conduct training, and then they also deliver donated supplies and equipment to these um, you know, firefighters and first responders in mostly third world type countries. Uh, the volunteers largely pay their own travel costs. I mean, the charity tries to offset their, their airline fares and, you know, hotels and stuff a little bit. But for the most part, these volunteers pay the vast majority of everything out of their own pockets. And again, they use their own vacation days. So, a gr- you know, a great group of men and women. Uh, I was fortunate enough to tag along on uh, this particular trip to uh, Bolivia and Peru as a videographer and blogger in order to try to hopefully better show and document all the great work that these uh, amazing volunteers do on these trips. So this uh, particular blog post was done a few weeks prior to that trip to South America. And it starts out. Last night, I went out to eat Mexican food for dinner. I was at my favorite restaurant where I always order the same exact thing every time I visit. I walk in the door, the hostess smiles, motions back towards the kitchen, snaps her fingers a few times, gunshots are heard deep in the kitchen, and then a short while later, the deceased animal shows up on my plate with a healthy portion of rice and refried beans on the side. Now, I'm only 17 days away from departure for South America. I am heading off to countries where I will have no clue about what I am reading on a menu. I will most likely be dealing with people that understand little to no English. I don't speak Peruvian or Bolivian. The wife quickly reminds me, uh, idiot me, that they apparently speak Spanish in those countries. All I know how to say in Spanish is something along the lines of mis bolas instay enchadas. Rough translation, uh, something like my testicles are swollen. A little side note on that. While working as a nurse in San Antonio years earlier, in a city with a predominantly Mexican-American population, my lovely medical assistant thought it was wise to teach me some basic Spanish so I could communicate better with many of our patients. Now, she was a girl with a great sense of humor, so she taught me the mis bolas insta enchadas phrase, or something similar to that, telling me it was a common, friendly greeting. So, my patients had a good laugh with that one, as I would go out into the exam rooms and happily greet these people with, hello, my testicles are swollen. But anyway, back to the story. I decided that last night, I would pretend like I was in South America, I would order something off the menu that I had no idiot clue as to what type of animal it had once been, even if it had ever been an animal at all. I would roll the dice. I picked out a dish that had about 43 letters that I had never heard of. I didn't know if it was beef, chicken, pork, seafood, or if it was even just a spare tire. I just smiled, pointed at the menu, grunted a few times, and handed the menu back to the waiter. The waiter looked at me, sweat beating on his forehead, and said, You sure, senor? I nodded in the affirmative, grunted, 
and returned to eating the laundry hamper-sized bowl of chips and salsa in front of me. As he walked away, I called out, And make it extra spicy, please. A short while later, the food arrived. Everyone sat in stunned silence as my plate was placed down in front of me. I was facing two huge, furry, upturned buttocks. Dangling neat between the buttocks was a furry tail. Underneath the tail, as I peeked, yep, you got it, a tailpipe. My daughter broke out in laughter. Dad, you ordered ass! My son just giggled. Hey, pup, can I try a bite of your ass? I was stunned. I indeed had a furry ass staring up at me from my plate. I motioned for the waiter. As he arrived, I motioned towards the ass with my fork and calmly said, Ramon, my good man, there is an ass on my plate. He smiled. See, si, senor, this what you order. He pointed at a single jalapeno stuck to one butt cheek with a toothpick. And see, si, extra spicy, senor. I was still stunned. Ramon, I ordered donkey ass. You actually serve donkey ass in here in North Texas? Ramon got a serious look on his face. No, senor idiota. This not donkey ass. This is burro ass. I poked the ass a few times and then looked back at him. Donkey? Burro? What the hell's the difference? Ramon smiled. Oh, senor, burro ass much more tender ass than donkey ass. You like this much better than donkey ass. The ass tail became entangled in my fork. I was just getting ready to resume my ass debate with dear Ramon when my 13-year-old son just screamed across the table to where everyone in the place could clearly hear him. Gee whiz, Dad, just quit your griping and eat your ass already. And with that, I shut up and quietly proceeded to eat my ass. My spicy ass. It kind of tasted like chicken. Chicken with a furry tail. It smelled like ass, though. The end. To follow up, um, I did broaden my culinary horizons in South America later that month, where I got initiated into eating such delicacies as armadillo, duck, beef hearts on a stick, and I had a tiny nibble of guinea pig. Yes, guinea pig, which is a delicacy in Peru, by the way. For the record, all of that tasted better than the ass. Oh, moving on. Now, I'll move on to my next installment in my unbelievable yet true medical nightmare saga. When we last left off, my new family doctor had called a medical malpractice attorney on my behalf. The family doctor had also rounded up all my records, and we now had that treasure trove in our possession. As I noted in the previous episode, Dr. Glidden, my doctor, had indicated he knew exactly what lawyer to call for me. He indicated he had been called as a witness in a malpractice case against a fellow doctor. 
He was a reluctant witness because, again, doctors do not want to get involved in the legal affairs of other doctors. Now, while Dr. Glidden was on the witness stand in this trial, the plaintiff's malpractice attorney started grilling him. Dr. Glidden said this guy was a ruthless shark that literally scared the you-know-what out of him, even though Dr. Glidden was only a witness and had done nothing wrong. He instantly knew that if anyone ever needed a malpractice attorney, this was the guy you would want. And that's how we ended up with the so-called ruthless shark in Fort Worth. Uh, the wife and I were soon down in Fort Worth to meet with the lawyer. Now, first of all, he didn't have an office in a building in downtown Fort Worth. He had his own building, named after him, of course. Not only that, we also learned that he has an actual law school, law school building named after him on the campus of his alma mater, one of the major private universities here in Texas. His office was not really an office per se. It truly was a multi-storied building with various departments. As you walked in, you were faced first with the site of a huge law library, bigger than most public libraries. They had a medical records research department staffed with nurses and other medical professionals who researched the medical aspects of every potential case. They had dozens of associate lawyers, legal assistants, clerks, you name it. On the walls were huge pieces of expensive art and photos of the lawyer posing with presidents, state leaders, and celebrities. My wife and I felt completely out of place. We were from a tiny rural town in West Texas, and this was definitely not in our element. And we soon met the lawyer and his daughter, who was a partner in the firm. The lawyer was something like out of a Hollywood movie. He's middle-aged, had snow-white hair, wore all black, wore cowboy boots, and had a smiling, thick Texas drawl. Photos showed he also wore the prerequisite cowboy hat whenever he was outside. I had already gone over my story over the phone with his nurses, but the lawyer asked me to sum up my story in a brief nutshell. I told him uh, I had been a 33-year-old healthy man who had gone in for a supposedly routine back surgery that would entail a few nights in the hospital followed by a four- to six-week recovery, I woke up paralyzed with no bowel or bladder function, was told it was normal post-surgical numbness, and was told it would resolve. Resolve. I developed two blood clots in my left leg, months apart from each other. Uh, after a little improvement, my diagnosis was changed to Guillain-Barre syndrome, a rare disease affecting the nerves. I went to a specialist who concluded that that was a BS diagnosis and I actually had most likely permanent nerve damage in my spine from the surgery. And I was now well over six months past surgery and was numb still from the waist down, had little bowel function, had to self-catheterize, had a paralyzed left leg and foot. My circulation was shot in my legs, which put me at rest for another clot. And that was basically how I was going to be for apparently the rest of my life. Now, the lawyer relayed some background on the firm's history. They only did medical malpractice and major negligence cases. They were one of the largest and most powerful malpractice firms in the country. 
They handled cases all over the U.S. They had won many cases with judgments in the millions of dollars for their clients. They only took on cases they felt they could win, and they rarely lost. It was explained that they would consider my case. They would gather all my records and do an exhaustive background check on me and all the doctors involved in my care. It would take months to compile all the needed information. They said that if they declined my case, they would be happy to refer me to a smaller firm that might be able to help me. And then we left. I went back to work and life went on. But uh, soon I was back in Dr. Glidden's office again with red swollen legs. Another Doppler test was done, but thankfully no third clot was discovered. Dr. Glidden then stressed that continuing working was putting me in grave danger of another blood clot. He suggested I take off work and stay home while I waited to see if my condition improved. I could use long-term disability benefits from my employer, and we would just pray my health improved and that I could someday return to work later on down the road. Well, uh, that improvement never occurred, and I ended up never going back to work again. I was now on long-term disability, home every day, laying down periodically during the day to help the circulation of my legs. Uh, I was now wearing a brace on my paralyzed lower left leg, and we had had hand controls put in our car so I could drive despite having numb legs. Dr. Glidden handled every aspect of my care. I never went back to any of the doctors that had screwed me up. About four long months later, I got a phone call. It was the lawyer's office. Their investigation was complete. They wanted me as a client. I was now the plaintiff in a medical malpractice lawsuit against a handful of doctors, a major regional medical center, and even the manufacturer of the hardware that had been placed in my spine during the surgery. The lawyer used a form of shock and awe to start out my case. With the exception of Dr. Glidden, the Guillain-Barre syndrome specialist in Lubbock, and the home health agency that had taken such great care of me, the lawyer literally filed lawsuits against every other entity that had ever touched me. I thought that my recent life had been a nightmare with all my medical issues and the lies surrounding them. But uh, little did we know. Being part of a malpractice lawsuit was just the beginning of a new type of nightmare. A nightmare that would drag on for years to be continued. I think I'll wrap it up there for today. Uh, hopefully you all still are doing well and are hunkered down safely. Uh, again, I really appreciate you all listening. Um, I'll talk to you again in another day or two. And for now, I guess we'll sign off and I'll say uh, this is Mark and the idiot has spoken. Mm-hmm.